Well, Gonzaga put a rough month of January behind them with a dominant win over Santa Clara on Thursday, proving this team still has the tools to be dangerous come March. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook partner of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more by visiting fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. All right. Happy Friday. Happy February. Again, one month closer to the month of March and the Zags are ready to be done with January. It was a rough, rough, rough month for the Gonzaga Bulldogs in January. We saw, of course, the loss to LMU was uh, the devastating one. We saw really, really close games against BYU. We saw a close game against Santa Clara. We saw a close game against San Francisco. This team struggled in the month of January. Little doubt about that. However, calendar flipped to February and the team turned it into a different gear, blasting Santa Clara 88 to 70. The Zags got up by 10 plus points in the first few minutes of the game and pretty much never, ever relinquished. Santa Clara occasionally would put together a few nice spurts of of basketball in the second half, uh, but never really got reasonably close. I'm not sure how many times it even got within single digits uh, towards the end of this game as Gonzaga just continued to hit shot after shot after shot. Four of their five starters were in double figures. The only one who was not, Nolan Hickman, had eight points, so pretty darn close to double figures there. They were led by Anton Watson, 18 points, eight of eight from the field, a perfect game quite literally from Anton Watson, five boards, four assists. Really, really nice to see him step out, especially early in the game when Santa Clara was doing a pretty good job on Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy finished with 15 points. He had 11 rebounds. He had five assists. It's hard to look at that stat line and be like, oh, that was a a bad game from Drew Timmy. I think he also went seven of 14 from the field. So 50% from the field, 15 points, double, double, five assists. Not a bad game for Drew Timmy, but he was he was really struggled early in the game. He was one of five at one point. I know he was two of seven from the field at one point. So really tightened up in the second half, got those shots to fall. But what happened is Santa Clara had a good game plan for how to stop Drew, and he was struggling even when he was getting decent looks. And so Gonzaga pivoted, and they went to Anton Watson. They found him deep in the post. He was able to establish himself with really, really good low post position. Gonzaga's guards were good at getting him the basketball And as we said, he took eight shots, not a single one of them missed. So a really, really nice job from him. I think so much of the focus this year for Gonzaga has been on who's going to step up when Drew Timmy is not having his best game, when the other team is able to stifle, is able to stop Drew Timmy. And we've we've looked at Rasir Bolton, we've looked at Julian Strother, we've looked at Malachi Smith, we've looked at Hunter Salas, we've looked at Nolan Hickman, and... We need to look at Anton Watson, and I know that he's reasonably been in that conversation. It's not like people have completely ignored him, but one of the hallmarks of Gonzaga's success in recent years has been having two playmaking bigs. 
Gonzaga was good last year. Chet, Chet Holmgren was obviously – most of his impact came on the defensive end of the floor, and that's not to take away from his offensive impact. It's just the fact that he was the most impactful defensive player Gonzaga has ever had uh, in their program history. But he also opened up more opportunities for Gonzaga to be dynamic offensively because he could stretch the floor, because he could put the ball on the deck, because he was a, a really, really good finisher around the rim. And Anton Watson is not as – skilled as Chet Holmgren offensively, uh, particularly in terms of ball handling and in terms of outside shooting, but he can do stuff with the basketball. He can create matchup problems. He can score around the rim. Like there are things he can do. And for Gonzaga, this was one of the, not the first time, but this was a obvious example of Gonzaga making the decision to feature Anton Watson in the offense, in the starting five, in the actual playbook in order to get him open looks around the rim in part because Drew Timmy didn't have it early in the game. And it worked. It worked in the sense that Anton Watson had 18 points on perfect shooting. It worked in the sense that in the second half, Drew Timmy barely missed any shots. That is what worked in this game. Now, that is to, that's not to say that the guards were bad or that they didn't contribute to this game in fact the guards had a really really good game everybody had a good game when you beat a team pretty badly uh, that tends to be the case is that your team uh, performed well Rasir Bolton was awesome in this game he had 16 points most of them came in the first half he was 6 11 from the field three of five from deep really really nice performance from him Julian Strother had 12 it was a little bit quiet but he was productive as well Malachi Smith had eight points off the bench including hitting some really nice shots in the second half, I mean, as a team, the team shot nearly 60% from the field. They shot 47% from three. That's eight of 17. And they out-rebounded Santa Clara by eight. So there was a lot of positive things that happened in this basketball game. But I think the biggest thing to me was Gonzaga being willing and correctly executing a game plan to get another post player that's not Drew Timmy involved in the offense intentionally. I guess that's the difference. Anton Watson has had 15, 16, 17 point games this season. It's not like him scoring 18 points is completely out of the, it, it didn't even feel surprising. Anton Watson leading the team with 18 points per game last year would have raised a whole lot of eyebrows. Two years ago, it would have been shocking, but this year it's more normal and that's fantastic. But I think the key difference in this game was the way that he got his points were often because he was being featured, because Gonzaga was attempting to get him the ball. The plan, and we've heard this all year, the plan for Gonzaga is Drew Timmy's option one, Drew Timmy's option two, Drew Timmy is option three. And in this game, Anton Watson was one of those options. He was somebody featured as a player to get the basketball to intentionally in order to get him opportunities to score. And it worked. And that encourages me for March. That encourages me that this team has the ability to make adjustments, to get different players the basketball in situations where they can score, and those players can step up and do it. That is critical for this team. Wanted to give a shout-out to Malachi Smith as well. We mentioned that he had eight points. He also had his 1,500th career point as a Division I basketball player. That is not the headline that as many people focused on when talking about a points milestone in this game as, of course, Drew Timmy. On a breakaway dunk, it wasn't really him breaking away. It was more him not getting back on defense because of a fast break opportunity for Santa Clara. Keyshawn Justice missed the three. Long rebound came out. Pass ahead to Drew Timmy. Two-handed flush for his 2,000th career point in a Gonzaga uniform. He has two players left, Jim McPhee and, of course, the legendary Frank Burgess are the only two players remaining. The numbers that I saw after the game uh, over the next 10 games, if Drew Timmy can average 18.9 points per game, he can get there. Of course, he had 15 in this one, so a little below that number, but still 
right inside the realm of possibilities. Uh, last thing I want to say on this game before we move on to previewing the, uh, the St. Mary's game and talking about a few other Gonzaga-related tips and tricks to end the Friday show. We got to shout out Gonzaga's defense. We talked a lot about Anton Watson on offense. We talked about Gonzaga coming in with a different game plan and making an adjustment. But the defense is what won them this game. And that is so critical for what this team needs to do in March. Gonzaga's ability to hedge screens and get out and prevent Brandon Podzimski from getting open looks to hamstring Carlos Stewart so he didn't get as many open looks. Carlos Stewart still had a fantastic game. Really good, talented player for them uh, at Santa Clara. But the Zags were able to hedge screens in a way that really disrupted Santa Clara's guards. They did not get open looks. Brandon Podzimski really struggled in this game, and it was a product of Gonzaga's defense. It was not star player has off night, Gonzaga wins. That is not the story from this game. It was Gonzaga executed a defensive game plan to prevent the second best player in the WCC from having a good game. Podzimski had 14 points on four of 14 shooting. He was pretty much a non-factor. Most of his points came in the second half when Gonzaga was had a comfortable lead and wasn't really in serious danger of losing it. They neutralized the second best player in the conference because of their defense. This hasn't happened very many times this year. It's worth celebrating. It's worth acknowledging. Gonzaga played a good defensive game. Now, Santa Clara still had a lot of open looks for threes that they didn't knock down. This team shot eight of 24 from three. Had they knocked down their open threes, they probably make three, maybe even four more. All of a sudden, you have a, bit, you have a bit of a different basketball game. Gonzaga still needs to work on the perimeter defense. It's still not great, but the hedging on the screens, the pick-and-roll defense was better, and it prevented one of the conference's best players in Podzimski from getting to the rack, from getting open looks, from getting to the mid-range, getting his looks, getting his touches. He wasn't able to do that because of Gonzaga's defense. We don't get to say that very often on this podcast, so it's worth celebrating when Gonzaga does execute a defensive game plan in a way that stifles a really good player and helps lead them to victory well all right well Gonzaga's not going to get much time to bask in this victory as they head to Moraga to take on the St. Mary's team that struggled with San Francisco on Thursday but ultimately pulled out a victory what can Gonzaga do to win on the road and tie the WCC standings more on that after a word from today's sponsor FanDuel the NFL playoffs are here and we are so excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that is even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers, you can join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Maybe you like Gonzaga's odds to beat the spread on the road against St. Mary's on Saturday. Maybe you have some thoughts about the North Carolina Duke game this weekend. Either way, bet comfortably on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So basketball fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked On Zags. I want to sincerely thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On College Basketball podcast. It's everything you know to, need to know about college basketball in one place. You can hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. 
All right, like I said, segment two here, Locked on Zags podcast, and we got ourselves a pretty big one. Friday evening, Moraga, California, number one seeded uh, St. Mary's Gales in the WCC standings versus number two, Gonzaga. Really, really exciting game. St. Mary's has not lost a game in conference play. They struggled on Thursday against San Francisco for anybody who was split screen in those two games, watching Gonzaga and Santa Clara while watching Gonzaga and St. Mary's, excuse me, St. Mary's and San Francisco on the other screen. Uh, it was a little bit closer game over there uh, in San Francisco, but ultimately the Gales triumphed Aiden Mahaney, who has been one of the most clutch players in all of college basketball, drained a really clutch three to end up uh, putting the stamp on the game for the Gales and sending Santa, or excuse me, sending San Francisco home packing. So I want to do my five key things here. These are the things that I think Gonzaga needs to prioritize, needs to work on, needs to emphasize in Saturday's game. If they want to leave Moraga with a win and a share of the first place in the WCC standings. The number one thing, it's been the number one thing every time Gonzaga has played St. Mary's since 2002 when Randy Bennett take over, took over. It's been over 20 years. This is the number one thing when playing this team. You can't let Randy Bennett dictate the pace. You cannot let St. Mary's play the speed and style of basketball that they want to play. They are really good, really good at setting the pace and controlling the tempo of a basketball game better than almost any team Gonzaga has ever played, better than almost any team I've watched play basketball. Virginia under Tony Bennett, very, very good at this. Houston Cougars under Kelvin Sampson, very, very good at this. Gonzaga and Arizona in ways, different ways, in in terms of their ability to speed up a game and get out in transition, they're very good at it as well. But Randy Bennett is a maestro at being able to find ways to get his team to play slow, methodical, plotting, but extremely efficient basketball. What we've seen from Gonzaga a lot this season in particular is a more reactionary style of defense in the sense that they are more likely to let the other team dictate what they want to do and then react to it defensively. A really big example of this, and I've I've harped on this decision, this coaching decision and, and how it went for Gonzaga a lot already since this game happened, but against LMU, when Gonzaga was losing, And they knew that they needed to get the ball back, get more possessions, and put the ball through the hoop. They let Cam Shelton, the lead guard for LMU, hold the basketball for somewhere in the ballpark of 24 to 27 seconds every single possession. That really, really hampered Gonzaga because in a five-minute stretch, four or five possessions like that, pretty much half the clock is gone because you're letting the other team whittle away the clock when they're winning. That cannot happen. It was a baffling decision defensively, and it cost Gonzaga a loss and a really, really long winning streak against LMU in Spokane. St. Mary's is a lot better than LMU. They are better at controlling the pace. They have really, really controlled, solid guards on this program. Aiden Mahaney, we talked about him. Logan Johnson has been around for a long time. Kyle Bowen, Alex Dukas. Like, this is a team that has experience, depth, and the ability to slow this game down. If Gonzaga lets St. Mary's run their slow, plotting, methodical offense, they are going to limit the the amount of offensive possessions that they get, which means they have to play nearly perfect on that end of the floor if they want to win. Number two, staying with that theme, everything kind of falls into this theme a little bit because of how Randy Bennett and St. Mary's play basketball. Gonzaga needs to hit their outside shots. Need to. You don't get to miss... 
most of your three pointers if you want to win this game. You got to shoot over 45%. You got to shoot close to 50%, probably, because again, you need to maximize the efficiency of your possessions. When you get the ball, especially if you're playing the style of defense where you're not putting a ton of pressure on St. Mary's and you're allowing them to run that slower offense, when you get the ball, you need to maximize your efficiency. And that means when you get open looks from three, if you get them, St. Mary's isn't going to give them to you very easily. But if you get open looks, you got to knock them down. you got to knock them down. Gonzaga shot 47% from three against Santa Clara. I think you need to be about there if you want to beat St. Mary's in Moraga. you got to be about there. This is a huge game for Julian Strother and Rasir Bolton. These guys need to be just knocking down shots. We saw against Santa Clara, these guys hit, hit threes from NBA range multiple times. We saw Rasir coming. Somebody went under a screen. He was four or five feet behind the three-point line, pulled up cash. That kind of stuff needs to happen. If St. Mary's makes any mistakes defensively, gives anybody a lane, gives anybody an opportunity to take an open shot, you need to be able to knock it down. We mentioned Bolton. We mentioned Strother. Malachi Smith needs to have a big game. Nolan Hickman needs to be more involved offensively. Hell, Ben Gregg maybe needs to step up and hit a three or two off the bench. Like You need those kind of guys stepping up, hitting big shots in order to maximize those offensive possessions in order to keep yourself in this game against a team that's going to try to slow you down as much as they possibly can. Switching over to defense, uh, locking down the perimeter. This is kind of an obvious one, uh, and it's been a, an issue for Gonzaga all year long. You remember the BYU game, remember the LMU game. Like Gonzaga has struggled to defend the perimeter. St. Mary's is a really good three-point shooting team. We mentioned Gonzaga did a much better job on hedging screens against Santa Clara. I would love to see that again in this game. Every time Aiden Mahaney comes off a screen, Drew Timmy or Ben Gregg or Efton Reed needs to push him out, push him out away from the rim. When he comes off around that screen, whoever's guarding him, Hunter Salas, Malachi Smith, Nolan Hickman, Rasir Bolton, whoever it is, needs to be ready because he's going to pull and he's going to shoot and he can do it. He's a 43.5% excuse me, percent three-point shooter on the year. Alex Dukas, same exact percentage, 43.3% for him. Kyle Bowen is 44% from deep. Those three guys are all over 43% from deep this season. This team lights it up. As a team, they're shooting 37%. This is a team that can really do it. And guess what? You don't just have to guard them on those screens. You don't just have to guard them out in transition. They're pretty comfortable spending 28 seconds looking for an open shot. If you guard them really well for 27 seconds, 27 seconds of elite defense, it does not matter. If something breaks down, a pass comes to the corner, Kyle Bowen's wide open from three, bang. You gave up three points and 29 and a half seconds on the shot clock. That's the worst case scenario, and it's going to happen. What Gonzaga needs to do is prevent it from happening too many times because it will happen. That is how good this team is. They are efficient. They are methodical. They are plotting, and they're going to find ways to get open looks deep in the shot clock. For Gonzaga, it's about discipline. It's about playing the best freaking defense that you can play for an entire shot clock every possession. It is a grind. It wears you down. But if you break at all, they will find those open looks and they will knock them down. Next one, you got to speed up Aiden Mahaney. It's funny. Normally we talk about slowing down young guards. But in this case, that's not the situation. Mahaney, all-star freshman for St. Mary's. We don't need to go into too many more details about him. We've talked about him a lot on the podcast already. 15 points per game, two assists, two and a half rebounds. Seems to make every clutch shot. Uh, just did it again against uh, against uh, San, San Francisco. Excuse me. Uh, he, we need to get him out of his rhythm. That's what needs to happen. 
disrupt him, put pressure on him, make him get rid of the basketball as soon as he crosses half court. Maybe that doesn't work. Maybe you try it and, and same area is getting too many open looks. They're knocking him down. Fine. Maybe you adjust your strategy. But my fear is that Gonzaga is going to let Aiden Mahaney dictate this game. You cannot do that. If he has control, if he can run the tempo that he wants to run, that Bennett wants him to run, that the team is prepared for, and Gonzaga is letting that happen, I think that's a problem. I think that's a significant problem. Make him make mistakes. Make him turn the ball over. Make him feel that pressure. Again, if it fails and you need to go back to playing a little bit more reactionary on defense, fine. You tried it at least. But I think you have to do something to try to disrupt this kid's rhythm because otherwise I think he's going to kill you. And I don't think that anybody wants that. Finally, the last key in this game, get Mitchell Saxon in foul trouble. Mitchell Saxon, big man for St. Mary's, potential defensive player of the year, front runner in the WCC right now. Uh, but he's also averaging about three fouls per game. Not bad for a big man, but potentially enough for Drew Timmy to try to exploit it. Drew Timmy, elite at drawing contact. If you make any mistakes on defense, if you bring your hands down at all, if you swipe at the basketball, if you're in bad position, he will draw that contact. Now we know that Drew Timmy's not a particularly good free throw shooter, so I know it can be frustrating like, oh great, now we're only going to get one out of two points or whatever. But if he's getting Mitchell Saxon in foul trouble, I don't care if he misses, I don't care if he picks up three fouls on Saxon and goes 0 for 6 from the free throw line, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. It's not great. Not ideal, but I'm fine with it because Mitchell Saxon being out of the basketball game is a big deal for Gonzaga. He is very good. He's averaging 12 and a half points per game. He's also averaging over eight rebounds per game. He's one of the best rebounders in the conference, one of the best low post scorers in the conference, the defensive player of the year front runner in the conference. If, if Drew Timmy can prevent him from playing for the last five, six, seven minutes of the first half. That's his opportunity for Gonzaga to go on a run. If he can't be on the court at the end of the game because he already has four fouls, that is monumental for Gonzaga's ability to succeed in this game. Getting Mitchell Saxon in foul trouble is a tremendous key for Gonzaga walking out of this game with a share of first place in the WCC regular season standings. All right, closing out the show, celebrating Jalen Suggs, celebrating DeMontis Savonis, celebrating Courtney Vandersloot while lamenting the Lady Zags and their loss to Santa Clara. But first, a word from today's sponsor, Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories, then you've got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me and you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste, then man, I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't even think they're good for you. They're perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. They have only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs today. All right, segment three, study Patton. 
still locked on Zags. And for those of you who listened to Thursday's show, it came out a little bit later in the day on Thursday. Uh, I jinxed it. <laughs> That's the story uh, for what happened there. I got called out for it in a jokingly loving manner on Twitter, uh, but I jinxed it. I jinxed the women's basketball team, and frankly, I jinxed Courtney Vandersloot to an extent. Um, and I want to talk about those two things here to, to lead off the final segment here. The final segment on Thursday's show was about the women's basketball program, about how they were undefeated in WCC play, how they weren't getting the respect from the committee in terms of bracketology reports. I think they came in as a six seed, despite being 21 and two on the season, only losses to Stanford and Marquette, no losses in conference play. And then they lost. I jinxed it. Like I said, it was a jinx. Uh, the women's basketball team lost 77-72 to Santa Clara on the road against the Broncos, uh, now in a first-place tie with the Portland Pilots. The Portland Pilots, only one loss in conference play, that loss coming to Gonzaga. So now uh, Gonzaga and Portland tied for the share of the WCC uh, title. They are playing each other on February 11th, 10 a.m. in Spokane. That is potentially going to be the game that determines who is the winner of the WCC championship or the WCC regular season championship. Uh, I don't expect the women's basketball team to lose any more games. Portland uh, may not lose any more games either. So that's going to be a really, really impactful game for these two programs. Uh, Vani Ejim had 26 points. Brenna Maxwell continued her outstanding outside shooting four of six from deep in that game. But the Broncos were better. Nailed 10 threes in this game for Santa Clara, 10 of 20 from deep, 53% from the field. And it kind of feels like, you know, 10, 15-ish years ago uh, in the men's side of the bracket when Gonzaga, you can't afford pretty much any bad losses in the WCC, and almost every team you play in the WCC is kind of a bad loss. For the women's program, they now only have three losses. This is their only quote-unquote bad loss, but it's going to hamper their ability to get a high seed in the NCAA tournament, and that's a bummer. It is unfortunate. This team deserves to be a four or five, six seed. Six seed is probably a little lower than they deserve to be, but now they were a six seed prior to this game. Now they're probably closer to that dreaded eight, nine line where you just have to play a one seed in the second round. Hopefully they can rebound. Hopefully they can step out, beat Portland, win the WCC regular season, win the tournament in the, in Las Vegas and potentially get themselves a seven or a six seed. But there's very, very little room for error. And unfortunately a slightly off night, combined with a great night for Santa Clara was enough for the ladies Zags to drop down a game and now put themselves in a more perilous position heading into the NCAA tournament. Courtney Vandersloot decided to wait until one minute. This is not a joke. You can read the timestamps on the tweets one minute after I posted Thursday's episode of Locked on Zags, where part of the conversation was, is Courtney Vandersloot going to go to the Liberty in New York, or is she going to go to the Seattle Storm? We talked about it for two or three minutes, had a nice rap conversation, posted the tweet. A minute later, Courtney Vandersloot posts her own announcement that she is going to New York to join the Liberty with John Kel Jones, Brianna Stewart, and of course, Sabrina Ionescu. So that conversation becomes a little bit obsolete, but Courtney Vandersloot's headed to the Big Apple. Really, really exciting opportunity for her. Uh, she had initially posted that she was going to the Storm. She deleted that post very quickly, but it got noticed. Reporters tweeted out, Courtney Vandersloot announces she signed with the Seattle Storm. Became a whole big thing. Her agent had to come out and say, hey, no, she's not signing with the Seattle Storm. She hasn't made up her mind yet. And so then the next day, she, of course, just makes the announcement herself that she is going to New York to play with the Liberty. So she said it was a really hard decision. Hard to blame her for that. Uh, she's from Seattle area. Getting to replace Sue Bird in Seattle, play point guard for the Storm. Pretty, pretty amazing opportunity. But team that lost Sue Bird, team that lost Brianna Stewart, I can understand wanting to go somewhere where you got a, a better opportunity to win. And the WNBA is in their super team era. They're there. 
this is an era that the NBA hit and the WNBA has hit it as well. The Las Vegas Aces have created a super team uh, and now New York. John Kell Jones, the former WNBA MVP, Brianna Stewart, former WNBA MVP, Courtney Vandersloot, one of the greatest passers in WNBA history, four-time All-Star, Sabrina Hudescu, on pace to be one of the greatest point guards in WNBA history if she can stay healthy. This is a legitimate super team that has been built in New York. It's very exciting to see what this looks like. I'm excited to see how UNESCO and Vandersloot play together. One of them is going to be more off the ball, I'm guessing. It's going to be UNESCO as she is more of a natural scorer. And, of course, Salute is, again, one of, if not the greatest passer in WNBA history. You probably want that person run point. So it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out in New York. I'm excited about the season. I'm hopeful to look at the calendar and see when New York is coming to Seattle. Perhaps we can go do some kind of Gonzaga-themed meetup and check out these uh, these two teams and, and see how Courtney is adjusting to life as a member of the Liberty. A couple more quick things. Jalen Suggs had his jersey retired in Minnehaha High School in Minnesota. They host the Orlando Magic on Friday, so Jalen was in town. He got to go to his old high school, have his football jersey and his basketball jersey retired. Uh, he fought back tears while addressing the crowd. It was a really nice, beautiful moment. For those of you who haven't read any articles or watched any videos about it, shout out to Jalen Suggs, uh, impactful Gonzaga player, of course, but just a generally great dude and getting the opportunity to go home and see see your friends, see your family, uh, see your fans, and, and get your jersey hung up in the rafters of your high school is, is a cool moment for him. And then finally, closing out the show, DeMontis Sabonis, he's an all-star. We knew this was going to happen. It was expected that he was going to be an all-star reserve. Uh, third time making the all-star game in his career. First time as a member of the Western Conference. Only Zag to be an all-star in both the Eastern and Western Conference. Quite frankly, he when he was the first time all-star, he was the only Zag to ever be a all-star in the Eastern Conference because John Stockton is the only ever other all-star in Gonzaga history, and he did it all with the Utah Jazz. Sabonis has been awesome this year with the Sacramento Kings. 18.9 points per game, 12 rebounds per game, 7 assists per game. Think about that again. 19, 12, and 7 is what he is averaging. Those are monster numbers uh, in the NBA. He's also shooting 64% on twos, just about 37% on threes, the best mark of his career, seeing him step out and become a legitimate outside shooter in addition to everything else that he already does. He is a tremendous basketball player. I know Sacramento fans probably hurts to see Tyrese Halliburton doing what he's doing with the Indiana Pacers, but at least DeMontis Sabonis has been awesome. The pairing of Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox has led Sacramento to a 29-21 and 21 record. They are in third place in the Western Conference as the team that maybe people thought might be able to contend for a play-in game spot in the playoffs. They are now in the driver's seat for potentially being a team with home court advantage in part because of the season Sabonis is having. So shout out to Domas, shout out to Jalen Suggs, shout out to Courtney Vandersloot. A fun weekend of things happening for Gonzaga players and the professional ranks. All right, that is going to do it for me today uh, and for this week. Don't forget to check out the show on Monday as we get back into Mailbag and look ahead to the rest of Gonzaga's schedule in February. Find the show on iTunes, leave it a review, find us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet. And thank you all for listening. And go Zags.